Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast. I am Frank Gruber, and this is an episode that we've it's a little bit of a recap, I'd say, but it's exciting, and I'm, I'm excited to be here today and offer it up to you because it became, it's going to be our virtual event that we recently hosted, our online event, Start of the Year event, where we celebrated female founders, and we're really all about uh, diversity, both in the founding teams, as well as geographic, as well as uh, representation, so we're excited uh, to be you know, pre-hosting these events and showcasing these startups, and we had a great group of female founders come out and pitch a little while back and we wanted to you know share that with you so the great companies that came out were led by female founders and they included cherry blossom intimates from washington dc and we had uh me too material solutions from indianapolis indiana pocket nest from ann arbor michigan predictive care from bethesda maryland rethink words from chicago illinois shy town go cubbies um and also we had some great great judges we had gene case uh from National Geographic or the Case Impact uh, Network. We had Eric Bond from Hustle Fund, Cheryl Campos from Republic, uh, Jesse Draper from Halligan VC, our ventures, and uh, Phil Nadell from Forefront Venture Partners as well. So great group of people, great group of startups, lots of high energy. We were, we're excited to bring it to you online a little while back, and now we're giving you the recap. So let's listen in on what happened. Welcome. I'm Frank Gruber. And I'm Jen Consalvo, and we are the co-CEOs of Established. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really excited that you're here where, from wherever you're from, in your living room, in your home office. We're excited that you could join us. Yeah, it's a definitely a challenging time for startups to survive and, and thrive. And we're here to support our community in every way. So this is why Established is producing four Startup of the Year online pitch competitions. And we're helping to build momentum for our eighth annual Startup of the Year Summit, which will be happening in the fall. These events create additional opportunities to elevate and support early stage founders and their businesses. All right, we're ready to get started. So okay. first we want to introduce our incredible panel of experts. Amazing panel of experts. Amazing panel, so excited. Yes. So first up, Jean Case. So excited to have Jean participate today. Jean is the chairman of National Geographic and the CEO of Case Impact Network. She is a businesswoman, investor, philanthropist, and impact investing pioneer who is a passionate believer in the power of business to do good and advocates for the importance of embracing a more fearless approach to innovate and bring about transformational breakthroughs. So in January 2019, Jean's first book called Be Fearless, Five Principles for a Life of Breakthroughs and Purpose was released. Like, close, yeah. but thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We are thrilled to share that she sent a signed copy of of that book to each of today's participating startups. Thank you so much for being here today, Jean. Oh man, Jen and Frank, it's a delight to be back with you guys. And I couldn't be more excited to hear from these female founders. As you know, I'm a great champion of female founders. Normally if we're in the room together, we bring a lot of energy and clapping to give them confidence before they go on. So right. virtually, I'm doing it for all Yes, exactly. Yes. Everyone do their like Superman pose, Superwoman pose. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jean. All right. Next up, we are excited to have Eric Bond join us. He's a co-founder and general partner of the Hustle Fund, which is an early stage venture capital firm that invests in software startups at the pre-seed and seed stages 
backing founders who exhibit great execution and high velocity, AKA hustle. Previously, Eric was an angel investor and venture partner at 500 Startups, and he's been part of our panels in the past. So welcome back, Eric. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much. It's a great opportunity to be here. I'm so excited for this event, but I'm a little bit angry that you put me right after Gene Case, because <laughs> that is like the worst uh, position to be in to, to follow that. Um, uh, but thank you so much. I love your background too. Yeah, this is my real garage. Um, it's my real garbage cans and recycling bins. I, I do it. compost. Oh, I didn't even notice that was a garage door. I, that's cool. It looked like you're in like an Airstream or something. I don't know. It just looked like really. It's cool. Hey, we're, we're all doing our best here through this yep, crisis, right? Exactly. We're in it together. All right. Thanks. To, thanks for uh, joining us, Eric. All right. Next up, we've got Jesse Draper. She's a founding partner of Halogen Ventures, as well as the creator of, and, and host of the Emmy-nominated television series, The Valley Girl Show. Remember that? I do. Yeah. Uh, she's also a fourth-generation venture capitalist focused on early-stage investing in female-founded consumer technology companies. Jesse, great to, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. I've been excited, you know, all month. Um, and, uh, and I'm really, really happy to be focused on female founders today. We invest in female founders uh, at, at Halogen Ventures. We have 62 female founded companies wow. and they're doing really well for us. We had $200 million exits last year. And wow. um, so we're betting on women as an opportunity and as a moneymaker. So for all of the um, can, you know, startups today pitching, I would just say, think big, keep thinking big, build your billion dollar business um, and just get out there. Good luck. Love it. Thanks so much. I love that they've got, that's a lot of companies. I know. Thank you for helping to change the stats. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got Cheryl Campos. She's the director of growth and partnerships at Republic, a one-stop shop for founders to raise capital from both accredited and non-accredited investors. She's passionate about the intersection of finance, technology, and social impact, and is focused on introducing underrepresented founders to their to alternative funding uh, sources in order to help them their, their startups thrive. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Cheryl. Welcome. Thank you so, so much, guys. I appreciate um, you guys doing this because it's much needed, quite frankly. Uh, Republic has 40% of female founders, and we want to continue pushing that up, right? Awesome. <laughs> we can never have too many. And if anything, um, I'm just so blessed that we can continue to have everyone around the world really invest in startups they believe in, um, and particularly democratize access to, to fundraising and investing. So pleasure to be here. Awesome. Great. Thank you and welcome. All right. Last but not least, we've got Phil Nadell. He's the founding uh, co-founder and managing director of Forefront Venture Partners. He's a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, published author. He frequently speaks at, uh, well, he speaks personally, but also at events. Uh, he's also uh, the co-founder, like I mentioned, of Forefront Venture Partners, which he co-founded in 2014. It was formerly uh, Barbara Corcoran Venture Partners of Shark Tank fame. So we're honored to have you back. Phil, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Great to be back with you all. And uh, looking forward to, uh, to meeting some of these founders. This should be another great event. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. I, I always ask about backgrounds, it seems like. What's, what's that artwork in the background, I noticed? Uh, that's a digital frame uh, made by a company we invested in called Mural, which actually oh, cool. exited a few years ago to Netgear. But it, it uh, displays great artwork from around the world and it keeps uh, rotating different uh, pieces of art. Oh, wow. We should Very get cool. something like that. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. Really great. Well, thanks so much, Phil. All right. Next <laughs> All right. Up. Without further ado, we're going to jump into our first startup uh, based in Washington, D.C. We have Cherry Blossom Intimates. Let's watch their pitch. 
More than 3.5 million women in the United States are currently living with breast cancer. 268,000 women will be diagnosed this year alone. Do you know a breast cancer survivor? Where does she shop for bras and prosthetics? Through innovation and inclusion, I've created Cherry Blossom Intimates, a business designed to help breast cancer survivors in a new way. I found a way to house an accredited medical facility within a lingerie boutique atmosphere. We specialize in prosthetics, but what makes us even more special is our offering of custom breast prosthetics. Using 3D printing technology, we build women new breasts, offering these prosthetics in 36 different skin tones. We can add freckles and veins. We can even customize her nipples. All of this happens in a beautiful space so that women can shop with dignity. Alongside of our prosthetics, we also offer bras in 200 sizes so that women can shop with their best friends, their sisters, their mothers, and their daughters. Our most popular bra size is a 40 band and a G cup. We accept all major insurance providers, including Medicare and Medicaid. Since opening about a year ago, we've helped over 3,000 patients and have done over $350,000 in sales. I've partnered with a breast surgeon who refers her patients to us, along with 18 other medical facilities that also send their patients our way. We're able to fulfill prescriptions for patients on an annual basis. I have a background in entrepreneurship and I've studied retail finance. I'm also a Forbes under 30 list maker in the retail category and a former Miss DC USA. We pride ourselves in being a high margin, high lifetime value business as breast prosthetics are reimbursable and patients are able to fulfill their prescriptions with us each year. In the coming year, we are planning a seven city tour where we bring these fit services to women through breast cancer survivor empowerment events. This is my life's work because I lost my grandmother to breast cancer and I remember her negative experience. Thank you so much for this opportunity and I look forward to your question. So judges, please uh, raise your hand and jump in Zoom. with your questions and make sure you unmute if you are already muted. Yep, okay, Eric, go ahead. Uh, first of all, Jasmine, congratulations on such a high impact business that you're creating here. Uh, my first question is more around what, what COVID has done to change your business, because it seems like this is a, such a great in-person experience and concierge kind of business. Um, so what kinds of things are you experimenting with in this current environment? So we've been really successful with virtual fittings. So because of COVID-19, there have been some changes in Medicare um, regulation, which allows us to operate more easily directly to consumers. So the first thing that we did after we closed our doors was reach out to our women who are eligible for prescription refills. That was over 30 women immediately, and we were able to ship them off their items directly. Um, and then the following month, we were able to do another 30 as well, and our insurance billing continues amid COVID. We've, um, so we've done the virtual fittings. We've also pivoted to ask our um, in-house physician questions. So you can chat with the in-house physician. She's hosted about seven um, virtual webinars for patients and then for other doctors who will refer their, their patients once we reopen. And then we've been doing um, broad drawer cleanouts. We've been having girl chats and hangouts to build our community so that women can continue to keep us top of mind. We plan to reopen in the next two weeks on an appointment basis. And we've had great success. Um, even though we've been closed for 69 days, we've done about $19,000 in sales. Wow, great. Jean? Jean, go ahead. Well, first of all, Jasmine, thanks for what you do. I am a breast cancer survivor, so I have a real understanding of the value that you're bringing to this world for what you're doing. But my question for you, I love that you're partnering with a physician, but you're in D.C. We have GW, you know, we have Georgetown, we have Hopkins up the road, NIH. Are you doing any institutional partnerships where they can help advance your product? 
Yes, actually. So we have connections with Johns Hopkins. They're able to refer their patients, but we can accept patients from anywhere in the nation. So we have 19 total medical facilities that send their patients to us as of now. We have pre-printed prescription forms. So a person can just have a prescription filled out from their doctor and bring it into our boutique. They can download it off the internet and then just come on in. Um, and then from there, after we fit them once, we can connect with them and make sure their items still fit them comfortably and just continue to resend them items in the future. So yes, it's more than the one doctor, it's 18 others. Great. Who's got the next question? Phil. So Jasmine, congratulations on an innovative uh, product and really much needed solving a real pain point. Um, so Eric had asked about sort of how COVID is affecting you. I'm wondering, post-COVID, are you relying on a brick and mortar build-out model? Are you going to build locations uh, throughout the country? Is that the model? Or are you partnering with established retail uh, retailers or doctors? What's the, what's the model post-COVID? So before this global pandemic, we expected to do a nationwide pop-up where we visited seven major cities and we would fit women in person. Um, but now we've actually, since we've had such great success with this virtual model, are sort of pivoting our idea to be more so the Warby Parker of post-mastectomy products. For instance, a woman can just grab her phone and do her fitting herself at home. Um, and then be able to send her items from there. So that is the concept and the idea um, that's really been sparked by this global pandemic, what happens if we can't touch her um, sort of issue, but there's a huge opportunity for that and we're very excited for that. And you, you, that's great. You can get the same level of accuracy that you need to have an accurate fitting virtually. We're working on it, yes. Um, so my concept is sort of like how you can put glasses on yourself on Snapchat can we do the same thing for bras and prosthetics? And if we can get it very close, then we can send her a box and she can just pay for what she keeps and send back the ones that don't fit. Got it, got it. Very cool, thank you. Thank you. Who's next? Um, yeah, oh, yeah, first of all, I love this. I love that you can take insurance. I mean, I've never heard of a, um, an intimates company that can um, be covered by insurance. I think that's incredible. Um, and I'd love to know just in terms of prosthetics, what you plan to branch out to first um, in addition to this. And then also um, what is a typical transaction size and do you have any like repurchasing order data? Um, yes, so for the next, step in prosthetics, it's bringing our manufacturing in-house to increase our margin. So right now we're at about 55 to 63% margin, but bringing it in-house would get us up to 83%. Um, and then you said, then remind me the next question, the second piece. Um, the uh, transaction size and repurchasing order. So for a woman who's had a double mastectomy, on average, we're able to bill her insurance $7,000 annually or biannually um for both breasts and then we're able to also bill insurance for her bras as well some insurance companies allow us to um, bill up to 12 bras so she's eligible for 12 bras a year but it really just depends on the insurance company um, but they're able to come back and we're able to remind them that they can pop back in the boutique or that we can send it to their home and we make it really easy really easy and really comfortable and really fun for them yeah sure hey. Thank you so much once again for your presentation. Um, my question is, uh, you currently have this product right now, but what's kind of the roadmap ahead and sort of where do you see this fitting in as well with you know the family members of that 
a person you I know that you mentioned that you know people can have fun in the boutique and also buy for themselves so we'd love to kind of see what the roadmap looks like in your mind um so I think we could definitely be the Warby Parker postmastectomy but it doesn't stop there I think that there's a huge void in this market for women who are um, not a traditional size who are searching for bras so our boutique actually carries over 200 bra sizes. So we go from 28 band through 54 band and A cup through N cup. And more often than not, we're seeing that women are in the wrong size bra. Um, we're seeing that now a D is, that they think they are, is really a G cup that fits them better and is more comfortable. Um, so that's one part of the business, but we're also seeing that women who've experienced mastectomy love to have a community. So being able to build that out um, sort of having digital communities, in-person communities, digital events, in-person events, because that doesn't exist either. Um, having very open conversations with breast cancer survivors, being a resource hub for them. Um, where do women talk about sexuality after experiencing breast cancer? Where do they talk about penciling in their eyebrows after radiation and chemo? Um, there's no place for that. So we hope to be that national and then international brand for that. Great. Oh yeah, Phil, unmute. There you go. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I wonder if you could just talk briefly about the, if the team is it just you? Are you a solo founder, or do you have a team? I partnered with the breast surgeon, so she's my co-founder, and um, we both work very diligently hand in hand to grow the company. But that's actually something that we need non-monetarily. Um, so I would love to have a COO. Right now, I'm the CEO and the CTO. So ideas kind of come through my mind and go through production, but I would love to have a person that has a bit more experience with um, growing on that side to help us out. Um, and I'm really excited for that in the future. Thanks. All right. I think that's all the questions we have. All the time's up. Uh, time we have for this. Yes. Best Thanks you so much, thank, Jasmine. Best, thank you, Jasmine. What a great way to kick this off, too. Take care. Yep. All right. I think we're up for number two. Yeah, we're up for number two. All right, next up, the startup is, um, uh, where is it? Uh, Indianapolis, right? Yep. Uh, my, my two, my Material Solutions, which we're excited to hear from them right now. Let's hear the pitch. We'll be on. A hundred years ago, the most sturdy industrial materials were wood and metal. Today, the new standard is composites. A market worth $137 billion, composite materials include thermoplastics, carbon fiber, and fiberglass materials. And this industry is set to grow due to the lightweighting initiatives and wanting to push the limit without sacrificing material performance. But composites have their limitations too, mainly the glue or epoxy that holds them all together. The epoxy is brittle and can crack and lead to overall part life failures, which prevents composites from being the go-to choice in materials. Hi, I'm Haley Marie Keith, CEO of Mito Material Solutions. At Mito, we produce graphene hybrid modifiers that enhance composites through the epoxy. Our chemistry is unique, offering our customers the versatile ability to create tougher, lighter, and more durable parts without changing their manufacturing process. Now, compared to other leading technologies, Mito can push performance higher at lower loading levels, making us more accessible to cost-sensitive industries. And that's exactly where we found our market niche. Our current pipeline has over $124 million in total opportunity, with customers spanning the transportation, mar marine, and recreational sectors. In fact, our first piloting customer is a semi-truck trailer manufacturer who's looking to move away from steel sandwich panels to composites. Now, other additives didn't fit the bill, but with Mito, the goal of a lighter freight trailer that can reduce carbon emissions by 50% is achievable. 
This is due because Mito works with our manufacturing partners to distribute our product at volume as our customers pull us through the supply chain. The Mito team is balanced with technical and business expertise and experience in chemical manufacturing, sales, and composite integration, and we're backed by industry experts who advise us regularly. When I joined this industry, I realized that advanced materials were only for advanced industries, but today we're here to change that. Join Mito Materials in empowering all industries to use the next generation of materials. Thank you. Let's start with some judges' questions. Who's got the first one? Phil, go ahead. Hi, Haley. Uh, it sounds like a very cool product, not an area I really know that well, but um, can, can you give me a, a sense of what the competitive landscape looks like? I mean, what are the other options for companies that are considering this kind of solution? Yeah, so there are competing technologies like carbon nanotubes, um, which are more tube-like structures. There's some nanosilica beads that are out there that are like little plastic beads that are being infused to resin systems to improve toughness. Uh, but ours is really a very unique product because it's a hybrid chemical and a hybrid chemical modifier. So we have chemical and physical bonding points. We utilize a, a material called graphene oxide, which is providing some really great and beneficial properties. And then we also hybridize that with a POS structure, um, which actually creates the chemical bonding points. And so it's a different type of structure that we're utilizing. Um, and other competing products in the marketplace right now are extremely expensive and targeted towards more high-end, high-performance industries. With Mito, uh, the hybrid nature of our product and the um, way that we manufacture it is also is opening a lot of doors for multiple industry applications. Do you have patents to protect it? We do. We have two patents that we've exclusively licensed, and then we're, we're filing additional patents as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, um, this is Cheryl. <laughs> I wanted to jump in here. Um, thank you so much for your presentation as well. Um, I wanted to kind of ask a little bit more about kind of what your traction has looked like in terms of your um, uh, your customers, but at the same time, how what's your plan on how to make this widespread? Since you say that you're kind of fighting an uphill battle and trying to make this the standard, how, how are you trying to do that? Yeah, so I think um, we have a very unique approach at Mido where we work with the end use uh, manufacturers. So we really work with them to understand and qualify their problem. And that goes back to my background, um, working in the RV industry for several years. And so by understanding those problems and how we could directly affect the consumers that have the issues, the manufacturers that have the issues, um, and how we can directly solve them, it gives us a really unique overview of the market. So the majority of our traction has been um, pretty organic, large companies reaching out, interested in testing and qualifying a new material. Um, we've done some specific outreach in areas that we know have specific problems. Um, and I think as we grow, it's kind of, um, I used this analogy earlier, it's like we're open sourcing our material. So we're using kind of an open source mindset of get it, gathering all this data, characterizing it in multiple materials, and then working with our customers to identify the solution that's going to work best for them. Um, and I think that that's how one of the ways our model will scale. The other is we have several different variations of our product that's coming out. And so that will also um, help with the widespread applications. Makes sense. Yeah, Eric, go ahead. Hey, Haley, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what your sales cycle looks like? Yeah, so it's a long process. I won't be uh, ashamed to admit it. It's a, we have to test and qualify materials. So when we integrate into a specific resin uh, or plastic type, there's some qualification testing that goes along with the customer. What Mido is doing is 
uh, formulating a lot of those tests and characterizing those results and using that as an inroad to the customer to get to that next qualification step. Um, and the timeline for our sales runs around six to 12 months. The majority of that time is spent testing the material. Some fatigue tests take longer um, than others. And then once it's qualified, uh, we go through the negotiation process of implementing it and integrating it into the product or materials. Um, and then we're on schedule for the next production run. Great. Yeah, uh, Jesse and then Jean. Great. Um, I um, just because it, it sounds like a few of us are not as familiar with this um, uh, industry um, as I would like to be. I, I would just suggest that in your pitch, maybe you put some um, pictures so that we fully get. Um, I felt like we didn't fully. Well, I felt like I didn't fully digest everything and you clearly have an incredible background and you're building such an amazing, unique product. Um, the one thing that stood out to me is um, you said it was 125 million, uh, 24 million addressable market. Um, and I always look at billion dollar markets just because the economics on a VC fund, you know, we have to pay back our investors. And so we look for billion dollar markets. So I would be curious curious because if that's the total addressable market you'll only take a certain percentage of that typically that's actually um, our pipeline opportunity currently oh that's your current pipeline opportunity oh it said addressable wow. market and i was like let's go bigger well we have billions yeah our uh okay, market is worth 135 billion dollars the additives that are looking to service that market um which we consider to be the total addressable is a 10 billion dollar market the right. specific space that we're in is growing at a 37 percent. okay not wow. an issue then yeah, no, it's big numbers. <laughs> Good question and clarification. Thank you. Jean, go ahead. Yeah, I have two questions. One is, and it kind of follows up with Jesse's question a little bit, which is how do you define uh, sort of the sectors that you will prioritize in your sales channel? It sounds like you have a lot of different opportunities for application of this, pro of this product. And then can you touch just a bit on your team? You know, who, yeah. who's working on this and what's that look like? Yeah, so um, you're not alone. This industry is very not not very well known. Um, so the way I like to think about it is like think about how flour is in a lot of different baking and, and ingredients and cooking, right? You use it a lot. So Mito is like the enriched flour. We're adding vitamins into this, and so what with that our model doesn't change very much when we go into these different industries mm -hmm. we've identified industries that are going to take a long time aerospace being one of them we've also identified some lower regulated markets that are going to be quick and easier to adopt we're looking into thermoplastics as a beachhead opportunity but also some areas in transportation where there's going to be a lot of lightweighting initiatives that we could add a lot of value so that's kind of the way that we are scoping out our market the good thing about the way that we're characterizing our materials is that once we have those materials characterized, it opens our doors to communicate to another market need. And so right. as we do that and grow, uh, we'll be able to address, you know, the longer term markets like aerospace and give ourselves time to do that. But right now we're targeting lower regulated, but high need um, uh, market areas. So our team is a really great combination. Uh, actually, I'm married to my co-founder. Uh, he has an engineering degree. I have a business degree. So we've got both sides um, kind of living it all the time. Uh, I spun this technology out of Oklahoma State University during my MBA and pulled him right alongside me and said, we got to do this. This is a huge opportunity. Um, we have a PhD in chemistry who has scaled our product and is working on additional variations, a material scientist um, and the material inventor who is a part of our key advising team that's working on material characterization and then a business developer who's got global experience in sales. Great, thanks. 
Excellent. Thank, thank you so much, thank, Haley. Thank you so much. I love the flower analogy. I love seeing Bessie again, too. That was fun. Yes. Um, <laughs> We're also fans of husband-wife teams. Yes, we are. I was really appreciative of that. And we, we like it a lot, too. And we also have yeah. a young daughter as well. So. Excellent. Excellent. We're all all right. right. Shockingly, so, I knew what graphene was. Oh, Only because of our work with NASA iTech, we've right. seen a few graphene well, I companies. Needed, I needed that flower analogy, and I wondered if there was like a gluten-free <laughs> gluten option. <laughs> um, in case you wanted that as well. So we'll have to bring her back and ask about that. And I'd love to talk to her more about RVs because I feel like right now is a good time maybe to potentially get to an get RV. That RV. Yeah, it just seems cruising. like a good way to, to get around at this point. Um, judges, right. while we're, well, we're chit-chatting, you should definitely be filling out those votes if you get a chance on that link that you have. We and provided. before we move on, actually, any judges having any challenges with your scoring? Yes. So you've got, got them under control. Give us a thumbs up. We're good. Good. Okay. Good Excellent. Job. Okay, then we're ready to move on. And to for, those you, for those of you that are watching, there's still that People's Choice poll out there oh, yes. too. So you get to vote as well. So don't just feel like that's the judges a, are voting. Everyone right. gets that's to That's a long vote. honored tradition with us. We've had a People's Choice poll for our competitions 10 for years, 10 plus years. years. Yeah. yeah we, we love the audience vote. Yes. Okay. All right. Next up. Pocket Nest from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hi, my name is Jessica Willis. I'm the founder and CEO of Pocket Nest. Pocket Nest provides comprehensive financial planning to Gen X and millennials on a digital platform. And we do this by licensing our software to financial institutions like banks, credit unions, and investment advisors. I have 20 years experience in wealth management. I'm a certified financial planner and I've co-managed a billion dollars in assets for over 300 families. And I have seen a trend. 90% of millennials have gaps in their broader financial plans. And they're a generation that will amass $46 trillion by the end of 2020. 67% of this generation are getting all of their financial advice from two non-financial sources, Facebook and Twitter. On the other side of this equation are the financial institutions who are trying to get in front of this next gen. But the financial planning process is a very time-consuming one, resulting in an industry that only aims to serve the very wealthy making it inefficient to scale and serve the masses. Until now. At PocketNest, we've created the technology that allows these institutions to provide a white label experience to their next generation, all in their own brand. With step-by-step -step guidance, PocketNest takes users through all 10 themes of financial planning. Users end up with a customized to-do list consisting of recommendations, education, and tasks. This information, in addition to all the information we learn about them, is shared digitally back to the financial institution serving them, the same institution licensing our software. Now, fintechs are credit space, we know that, but we know this industry and have yet to find a tool that's both digital and comprehensive, which is a must for any financial institution looking to serve the next gen. Making all of the financial companies out there and all of the fintech companies out there, not our competition, but our customers making PocketNest ripe for acquisition by any number of global financial companies. Now, our team of seven launched our product in October. We've taken companies from pilot to full paying customers. We have seven paying enterprise customers and we've raised 700,000 of our million dollar round. We're growing at 24% month over month in total end users. Join our charge. Help us change the financial trajectory of millions of people. Thank you. Hello there. Welcome. Wait. All right, judges. Uh, looks like you, let's jump in. Yep. Bill. Hey, Jessica. Very interesting. Um, I guess I'm I'm wondering, don't the larger financial institutions produce a lot of the same sort of content themselves? If you think about a J.P. Morgan or a Merrill Lynch, aren't they 
aren't they producing similar type of content to making it available to their customers? Not that I've um, the for wirehouses you're referring to are, you know, they've got such a strong focus on investments and they're deeply rooted in that investment piece. I'm not seeing comprehensive financial planning and certainly not in the digital tool. Um, and even more so, not in a tool that they're putting in the hands of the next generation to drive that process on their own. Okay, thank you. Jesse? Um, great. Um, I am very familiar with this space and I um, have seen a couple of your competitors. So I would love to know what are your three differentiators? Yeah, and I, I think it would be, can you tell me a couple of the differentiators your, or um, competitors you're coming, you're referring us, comparing us to? Yeah, I mean, I'm comparing, oh, that's, yeah, good question. Um, I'd say right now, LVEST, and then I was familiar yeah. with LVEST, which was acquired by Northwestern Mutual. Perfect. And then we've seen, you know, Gen Lux, Gen, uh, Gen Lux or something in New York. Okay. Learn Lux. Great. So, um, so Jesse, uh, LVEST is, a, is like Betterment or Wealthfront, they're robo-advisors, and they've brilliantly figured out the investment piece, right? So they've brilliantly figured, figured out how to bring investment to the masses. What they're not doing is, again, that comprehensive financial planning piece. So they're not saying, hey, end user, based on what we know about you, based on your tax bracket, how many kids you have, um, you know, your last three jobs, the way you work, here's what you need to be doing from a life insurance standpoint. And, and proactively, um, you know, here's the 529 that you should be in for your kid's college. Um, so what we think is one of the big differentiators between all those companies and, and ours is that, um, uh, you know, they're not comprehensive financial planning. Um, they're more brilliantly figured out their one niche of either investments or micro savings or micro investing. But again, not that that um, comprehensive financial planning or CFP space. LearnVest Learn was um, uh, brilliantly figured out um, how to bring content like that, comprehensive CFP content, and not a user-facing app that's saying, hey, take your Illinois 529 and move it to a Michigan 529 and save you know, $89 a month by doing that. Okay, and it was NextGenVest and LearnLux, like, like okay. combined, Okay. FYI. Great. All right, Eric, go ahead. Hey, Jessica. We actually met a couple months ago in Detroit. I don't know if yes, you remember hi, that. Eric. I do. Good. How are you? Good to see you. Go Blue. Grew up Good in Michigan as well. Um, so yeah, I kind of have a follow-up question from what Phil was asking. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what your ideal banking partner persona is? I imagine it wouldn't be necessarily the largest banks, but like regional banks or federal credit unions. Um, yeah, exactly, Eric. Yeah. Exactly. We view those uh, those global and, and national companies as potential acquirers for us. Um, but our consumer base right now is the regional banks, the larger credit unions, the 500 million and above um, independent RIAs. So, um, Phil, even to your earlier question, even if JP Morgan was doing that or Morgan Stanley was doing something similar, um, we're still, you know, then we just go after the other 99,000 um, financial institutions out there and let them white label our, our, our brand for their own release of it. Jean, go ahead. Hi there. Great job, by the way. Uh, question. So can you talk a little bit more about the business model and these relationships that you have with banks? You know, what, what, what's that business model look like? And then also you're in a field that has a lot of regulatory issues around it. Can you talk a little bit about that and it's, you know, how you're thinking about that as a business? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, well, I'll take the first piece. So um, the revenue model, the business model is just a sub monthly subscription fee that the financial institution pays. So we're not passing this um, like a monthly fee on to end users. We don't want any pain points for end users. Um, and so the financial institution pays us. It's just a monthly subscription fee based on the number of end users and it's all a tiered structure. So any institution with between zero and 500 users pays us two grand per month, um, which equates to about $4 per end user per month. And as we have more and more users, that tier structure you know, increases and we end up um, at, a, if we'll, when we're serving institutions with about 200,000 end users, they're paying us about 49 cents per user. Um, as far as the regulation piece, yes. I mean, this is an incredibly, you know, highly regulated industry. Um, in my 20 years, I've always had a role on the compliance piece. So we have two entities. We have a parent company that's a tech firm, um, Pocket Nest Inc. And then we have a subsidiary that's an RIA, a registered investment advisor that we've registered with the SEC. Um, and that allows us to, the, the subsidiary allows us to partner with institutions that want a real RIA, that want to say, hey, we're partnering with an RIA doing comprehensive planning, um, but it also allows us to partner with the banks because um, in their case, they don't want to necessarily license from an RIA. They want to license from a tech firm. Uh, they have regulation of their own. And then just one point, you had a lot of interesting data in your presentation. I might recommend as you think about presenting that you put some graphics and some things to really underscore some of those strong points that you had in your presentation. Okay, great, thank you. Um, Sorry, one more question. Um, so I was looking at it from the consumer side, but you're clearly just straight software B2B. Um, what, um, how long does it take you to get one of these RAs up and running and how difficult is it to implement in terms yeah. of the technology? So Jesse, we're B2B to C. So our platform is all user facing. Um, the B2B part is that we're bringing all that data back to the institution, back to our customers so that they can understand their customers really efficiently and scale and serve more people. Um, uh, the implementation piece, the white label, it takes my development team about four hours to um, create a white label version of what we have. So we built this to be able to white label over and over and over. And so from a tech standpoint, um, we've got a, a really good process there. Can I do one quick follow-up? Sure. Yes. <laughs> what, what's your current ARR from the seven enterprise customers? Uh, we were making about 10 grand per month. Um, so 120,000 on current customers. Um, we'll end the year with a hundred grand in revenue, but we have uh, two more customers who signed up last week to launch on June 1st and another one to launch on um, August 1st. So we've got three more customers coming in and we expect to get a couple more by the end of the year. Great. Thanks. Cheryl, you have a question? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you again, once again, for, for this. And on the B2B side, what has, what has, has there been any churn or like what have what's the feedback been really from um, your customers on that side and then on the B2C side uh, how are you planning on getting more more users because there are more competitors a little less directly with what you're doing but more about getting customers very early on so like students and like college kids and like educating all of that so how are you trying to acquire that way yeah um, I'm going to start with the latter question because um, it's front of mind. So we know we can't create the software and put it in the hands of the institutions and say, go out there, get customers. So we know it's fully our responsibility to um, engage with the 
the marketing departments of those institutions to make sure that we're getting end user engagement. Um, and so we have a, a war chest of marketing assets. Um, Ashley Craven's our chief marketing officer. She spent the last creating uh, marketing strategies, email campaigns, et cetera, so that we can engage that, that next gen. Um, and Cheryl, to your point, yes, we are, uh, we're trying to engage early. So we, what we want to see is some of these community banks create a white label platform that they put out to, um, to the local university or the local college to say, Hey, we're here for you. You know, maybe we get a little bit of CRA credit that way, but we also put this out there for you, um, to help you with comprehensive planning. And of course the business cases that they're establishing relationships with the next, next, next gen. Um, churn has been fine. We haven't lost any customers. Um, all of our institutional customers are in 12 month contracts. And if anything, the last couple months have been a now more than ever because, um, you know, it's, a, it's our tool answer comprehensive planning for the end user, but secondly, also allows the institutions to engage over technology. Gen. All right. Thank you so much. Sorry. We had, I was entertained by Bessie. I forgot to tell you time is up. Oh, I didn't get to see the, the llama. Oh yeah. She was there hanging out. I just got really was mesmerizing. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. So much. And right. while our judges are casting their votes. Yeah. So if you are, are watching, we really appreciate it. And I appreciate you, you following along. You, you can also vote just like the judges here today. You get a chance to, to vote for our people's choice award out there right now. Cast your vote. It's if you go to SOTY.link, L-I-N-K forward slash people's choice. You'll be able to find the, the link there. It'll take you right to the page where you'll be able to vote for your favorite. So do that right now. And then also one more note about our sponsor today. So uh, Zoho Creator is having an event soon on June 9th. You get a chance to receive a special offer if you sign up for their, uh, if you sign up to the link that we provide as well. So uh, it's, it's on the screen to my right. So and hopefully out. if you're watching, you're getting inspired. If you haven't already started a company, maybe yeah. it's something you want to do. Yes. That's part of the goal here. Yeah. And what's really great about an event like this is, uh, you know, we have events sometimes that are very specific, right? So it might be very health and wellness focused. This is sort of all across the board, something for everyone. Yeah, and we're learning about a lot of things. A lot of things. Yes. So, cool. all right, judges, how are we doing? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Jesse, you still, you good? Okay. We're going to move on then to our fourth startup. So We've already got three down, four, four, three out of five. So here we go. Next up, we've got Predictive Care out of Bethesda, Maryland. Hi, I'm Lillian Ting, co-founder of Predictive Care, the future of medicine today. The problem we're addressing is that 10% of serious diseases have a genetic component that could have been prevented. Our solution is to enable everyone to know their genetic predispositions to diseases so they can take preventive actions at an affordable price before symptoms appear. Now we sequence 100% of a person's DNA and compare that with 16,000 diseases. Then we create a personalized genetic database with all your genes and associated risks, after which a physician can recommend preventive actions, treatments, and screenings based on your genetic profile. We also allow doctors to better detect underlying diseases earlier and have insights into a patient's genetic risk for adverse drug reactions. Thirdly, every step along the way, doctors get explanations with the most up-to-date genetic research along with relevant patient risk alerts. In the U.S. alone, we have an addressable market of $200 billion. 
and our initial market is in concierge medicine because we enable doctors to provide better patient outcomes while giving them an additional source of revenue and treatment options. We're in discussions with the largest concierge network in the U.S. We have a B2B to C revenue model where we charge doctors $1,500 per patient, including a three-year subscription, after which it becomes $100 annually. Doctors charge patients an additional $1,000 for consultation and the cost of additional screening. Security and privacy are top priorities and information is never sold. We have a fantastic team to scale the business with serial entrepreneurs and successful exits and scientific co-founders who are experts in bioinformatics and genetics from John Hopkins University. Join us today to make predictive the next standard of health. Welcome. All right, questions, questions from the from judges. judges. Eric, go ahead. Hey Lillian, congratulations on such a cool company. Um, I guess I have a bit of a philosophical question to start with regard to the healthcare industry. So in the United States, um, it seems that the medical system isn't necessarily designed around preventative care. It's more around like um, after the fact care. Right. And you're introducing something that's more oriented towards a preventative side of the thing uh, of, of the house. <laughs> so I'm wondering if is there like a misalignment right now in terms of this timing for for this business? That's an interesting question. So what you're saying is true. You know, doctors are treating symptoms. That's why people come in. But I think there is a strong push for preventive medicine as well. Um, and this actually is at the intersection of both preventive and diagnostics. So the physician has the platform. It can look at existing symptoms and it can also tell you your preventive um, um, disease risks. So I would say that the goal is to re essentially reinvent healthcare, change it from reactive to proactive. And I think we have an initial customer base that can really show in terms of the metrics that this is beneficial for healthcare insurances, that this will bring down health costs. Yeah, the only reason why I raise this is like, I'm wondering whether the United States is the right market to start with first. There are like other kinds of markets that are more oriented towards preventive care, like in Europe and so forth. So I uh, want to flag that as a possibility as well. Yeah, that's great. So we've actually had some conversations with other countries too. So we are having those conversations and starting some pilots there as well, like in Estonia. Um, Next question, Jesse. Oh, Eric, I loved that question. That was like a great sort of overall view of what she's yeah, doing. And, and um, so this is amazing. And I do think this is the time to be in this industry, clearly. Um, how does it work? Are you, is, it's a blood test? Is that how you're, you know, collecting this information or how does that work? Mm -hmm. We can do it through a fingernail test or a blood test, either one. Okay. Fingernail or blood. And then, so will you be able to predict if people are more susceptible to COVID eventually? So funny enough, the way that like for myself, so I did the test, you can see that I have a higher risk for influenza. I have asthma. So these are some, these are disease risks that are associated with a higher risk of developing serious COVID. So you can take, so you, the answer is yes. Yeah. All right, Jean, go ahead. So Lillian, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the competition. I mean, there are a number of companies and products out there, obviously, that do some 
you know, DNA testing and analyze some of this. Then there's Tempest in Chicago, which you probably know, started by the co-founder of Groupon, which has the largest molecular data set in the nation. How do you, what's the competition and are you looking at partnering with any of those that have a big head start in this field? We're looking into partnerships right now. Um, our primary focus is with the American College of Concierge Doctors. So they're the largest concierge doctor group in the U.S. Um, and, you know, we're open to talking with different people and exploring partnerships. So oh, great. You're doing as much needed and I give you a lot of credit, but, there, but it is sort of becoming a little bit of a, a crowded market. And so understanding who's out there and a little more about the competition could give you an edge. Sure. Yeah. I think what makes... One of the things that makes our offering special is that you have a real-time um, access, searchable access to any of your genes, any of the conditions, over 16,000 different diseases. And that's one thing that makes this product stand apart as opposed to like, like Nebula or Helix. You know, they're looking at maybe 170 genes or 170 diseases, even if they are looking at your all your genes. Right. Well, thanks. I think what you're doing is great. Right. Who's got the next question? No, oh, and, then, and then Cheryl. I don't want to cut Cheryl off. Go ahead, Cheryl. Go ahead, Cheryl. Don't flip it. Awesome. No, thank you. Um, just, I mean, just more of a quick question of kind of what your uh, traction has looked like today. And then what has those conversations looked like for, um, you know, the potential customers that you have? I mean, I... I think my my hang up here is just more about like the actual process itself, like, you know, even just sales cycle wise and even just, you know, uh, then implementing them into, you know, the offices, like how, how can you just walk us through that a little bit more to get more clarity? To get the clarity of what those like establishing those partnerships and that sales cycle. Yeah, what's it look like? How right. do you do that? So with, so for example, with Estonia, we went in, um, we did a presentation they they've actually gotten 20 percent of their population sequenced already so we're coming in and providing the analysis and also the database to show the customer or show their patients what their disease risks are so they, they don't have the ability to do that for their patients right now so you know with on the country level it's actually been really easy we usually just reach out to them our found you know sajung and um sijung are professors at John Hopkins University. So they readily get access and credibility with other countries. And then also with like um, the American College of um, Concierge Physicians, we just reached out to them and you know, gave them a proposal and you know, we're in discussions. So for now, those discussions have been very, uh, I'd say very seamless. Um, and then in, we're, we're waiting a few more months before the actual rollout. So I think in terms of that question, that'll have to be answered at a later stage. Gotcha. Phil, do you still have a question? Yeah, real quickly. Uh, sure. You had talked a little bit about uh, your team and it sounds impressive, but I didn't hear anything about your background. Can you just tell us about that a little bit? Sure, so I've been with Select Venture Partners. Um, we're, we invest in early stage SaaS companies. Also, um, I've been a serial entrepreneur, advise startups. And then Alex Rushgood, he has been a serial entrepreneur as well, um, director of a couple of accelerators, um, also had an exit uh, and founded and exited within two years. So we have a strong combination of the science, medical and um, entrepreneurial experience. 
All right. Any other questions? All right. All right, well, thank you. No, no, Bessie, thank you. No, yeah, thank you, Lillian. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, judges, get a chance to cast your votes right now. And we'll get on to our next company here in a second out of my hometown. Chicago. Sweet home, Chicago. <laughs> oh, and don't forget, guys, as you are all sitting there in the audience, not only make sure you cast your vote, make sure you sign up for zoho and also be thinking about what could you start with a dot us domain <laughs> or yeah that, that's a great point i've got right? ideas yeah definitely oh and by the way ours is dot us that's right yes yes <laughs> all right judges thumbs up if you if you're good if all right good. we got the thumbs up then we are going on to our very last company of last today Yes, start number five is Rethink Words from Chicago, Illinois. Go kill yourself. That was a message that Rebecca Sudwick, a 12-year-old girl from Florida, received on her social media. After being cyberbullied for over a year and a half, Rebecca couldn't take it anymore. She climbed to the top of her town's water tower and jumped off. Cyberbullying is a serious issue. And now with young people spending even more time online, a proactive solution to stop online hate is needed. That's where Rethink comes in. A solution by young people for young people. My name is Trisha Prabhu. I'm a junior at Harvard, and I'm the founder and CEO of Rethink, a patented app that detects and stops cyberbullying. Operating as a keyboard on mobile devices, Rethink works across all apps to detect offensive messages and give users a chance to reconsider sending them. So when a user tries to post something like, you are so ugly on social media, Rethink detects that message and then prompts the user, hold on, are you sure you want to post that message? Our research finds that over 93% of the time, that alert works. So our competitors, parental control software, tries to combat cyberbullying after it occurs. But Rethink stops cyberbullying at the source with the cyberbully before the damage is done. Our business model's primary focus is bringing the Rethink technology to schools. Through an annual subscription model, we implement and support a school-specific version of the Rethink app on school devices. Now, in addition, of course, anyone can download the Rethink app that's currently free, but we're looking to monetize that distribution channel through an in-app purchase for parents. Today, via partnerships with organizations like the U.S. State Department, Rethink has reached 5.5 million students in 1,500 schools internationally and been featured on everything from TED to ABC's Shark Tank. From here, the potential for growth is enormous. So join us. Together, let's conquer cyberbullying. She's on her way. Here she is. Trisha, you're with us. Yes. Hello. How are you? Good. Welcome. <laughs> great. Great to have you here. All right. Let's jump right into jump. questions. Who's got the first question? Bill? Yeah. Hey, Tricia. Um, it's a really cool product. Very um, interesting and solves obviously a real pain point. I like how it's uh, more proactive than the competitors' reactive solutions. That's great. I'm wondering, uh, how do you get the students to download this app? How, you know, what's their incentive to do it? And is it uh, does it interact? Does it work with all kinds of messaging uh, apps? Absolutely. Um, two great questions. Um, so first off, you know, as a 20 year old, um, you know, I developed this product um, when I was, you know, 15. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not naive. You know, I, I know that, you know, young people, it would be great if they woke up and, you know, they're like 
it's time to download Rethink, uh, but <laughs> we know that's not likely. And so that's why we focus on bringing Rethink um, to those individuals who oversee teen device use, schools and parents. Um, and so they kind of ask, act as like our buffer um, to then reach these adolescent populations that we think really need this technology. With that said, um, I think a lot of teens from an incentive standpoint, um, you know, when they're faced with the trade-off between parental control software and Rethink, which empowers them to make the right decision, um, instead of having a parent read their texts, um, they really prefer one over the other. And that's what our focus groups say. Um, and I think too, teens just really relate to this idea of, gosh darn, why did I do that? You know, I, I, I really regret making that decision. I think a lot of, I mean, I, I certainly have, you know, in my youth made decisions where I went back, so why did I do that? Um, and so I think teens really relate to this product and feel like it understands them. Um, and so, you know, we, we are, we're totally conscious of that. And that's why we try to focus on schools and parents. Um, and then as for your second question, um, oh, sorry, now I'm, I'm sorry. Would you mind re repeating the second question? Uh, no, I don't remember what my yeah, second no, I'm question was. <laughs> okay. That's a really good question. Yeah. Oh, I apologize. That's okay. Justin, um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, you talked, first of all, this is amazing, uh, really, really great technology you're building and so important. Um, and I feel like that's the right time to catch them too. It's just like a little tap on the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, so can you talk a little more about monetization? You mentioned that yes. you were hoping to monetize by having them download an app that costs something, but, um, how do you see that down the road playing out? And, um, what have you thought about in terms of other monetization strategies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have already monetized and our, our revenue model is based off of bringing the Rethink technology to schools. Um, so what we do is we implement and support a school specific version of the app in these schools. Uh, we provide them 24 seven tech support. We provide them aggregate data and analytics on how the technology is working with their students. And we provide them an educational curriculum um, that's K through 12 grade specific um, that they can then use to teach digital citizenship basics to their students. Um, and then in return, schools pay us um, an annual fee that ranges between $500 to $1,500 and is dependent on the size of the school as well as financial need. So that's kind of one component of our revenue model. The second component that we're trying to monetize is um, the individual download. So right now, if you go to the Google Play Store, the App Store, and you download Rethink, it's completely free. Um, but what we've noticed in our focus groups and in talking with parents is they want a more comprehensive Rethink experience. Um, they want the opportunity to you know, get data and analytics. How is the app working with their child? Um, they want to have features like you know, the ability to disable you know, their child from you know, switching off the Rethink keyboard onto um, another keyboard. Um, and so um, we, we're planning on packaging all those features into an in-app purchase, um, which is scheduled to release in December of 2020. Um, and we're hoping you know, at $1 a month, $12 a year, um, this will be a bargain um, for parents who need some sort of software solution to try to tackle online hate and want their kids to build uh, you know, responsible decision-making skills. Um, and Phil, I just remembered your question. Um, your question was, does it work across all messages? I think is a keyboard. Um, and the beauty of that solution uh, means that Rethink works across all, all, um, all social media. Um, so any type of text-based communication, messaging, Thanks. email, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be. Thank you. Very cool. All right, who's got the next question? Dean, go ahead. As selling into schools can be a long and laborious process, I'm just wondering, have you given thought to, or do you have any partnerships with those who already have a strong standing in the school market? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the way that we we work with schools, because as you mentioned, um, it really is a long and laborious process, lots of regulations, lots of people need to sign off and a billion and a half things. So what we do is we actually work at the state level or the district level, um, often at the county level. So for example, we've partnered with the state of Michigan um, to bring our curriculum to all of their 2 million students um, in high schools. So we work at really high levels um, and then we kind of put in the initial time and investment and then we're able to reach thousands and thousands of schools. Um, we also often work at the district level, the county level, um, and that's kind of how we go about you know, building those partnerships. The other thing we do is we, we have some amazing partnerships. We work with the US State Department, for example, um, to reach schools in international countries. So Rethink has reached 134 countries through the US State Department. Um, and they've helped connect us with schools um, in, in kind of the, the more international arena. Um, and then we also work with educational organizations like Girls Who Code is one of our, is one of our partners. Interesting. Great, thanks. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, um, well, thank you again. I think you had the really amazing pitch, so congrats on that. Um, and you <laughs> definitely have had practice by being you know, on Shark Tank and TED Talks and all of that. So uh, congratulations on that front. So in that sense, you actually have been doing this for a while. So would love to kind of get a sense of where, like the, what the revenue growth has looked like, uh, whether or not you've had to pivot some of this like you know, business model. Um, I think when I first heard of it, I thought of it more as a feature. So I would love to kind of get a better sense of like how you're making this more of like a, like a business that can, you know, scale and become, you know, a billion dollar unicorn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're right. I've been, I've been, you know, doing this for a little while. I started when I was 13 and we incorporated, um, in 2015. Um, so we've been incorporated for five and a half years. Um, we first kind of rolled out a revenue model base um, of Rethink in 2017. Um, we didn't become sustainable until 2018, but last year we generated revenue in excess of $500,000 um, and we were able to net $300,000. Um, so we took home a, a good chunk of cash. And so um, and I think the reason for that and, and kind of the way that we've been building Rethink out, the, the way that we pivoted was we recognized that there weren't, so what we found is there were a lot of schools who saw these new devices, these new one-to-one -one devices that were coming into their environments um, as a liability. Um, and they were worried, you know, if we see cyberbullying and kids, you know, bullying each other, we're going to have issues from our perspective, from a liability perspective. And there was no software that actually school, like scaled to the school environment. Um, you know, parental control software works in the home, but it doesn't work for a school. And so schools really, they just really did not have anywhere to turn in terms of working with the private provider um, of some sort of anti-hate software, some sort of, you know, um, digital citizenship software. Um, and so that was kind of when we made that pivot and we saw enormous success. Um, and in the wake of COVID-19, now that every, I mean, educational learning is completely digital, we've seen, you know, a huge, huge spark in it. I mean, schools are really interested in bringing like something like this to their devices because um, for them, the way that they see it is, oh my gosh, this is a liability um, on our end if, if we have an incident happen. So we need to think about proactive solutions to try to tackle cyberbullying. Um, in terms of the future, um, you know, we're really, we're on track this year to reach another 750,000 um, students across the globe. Uh, that's 500 new schools. Um, it's a little smaller than we wanted, but COVID-19 has obviously you know, presented some logistical challenges to schools. Um, and we just think from here that the next step is to take Rethink to the next level. Um, and that's why we're excited to be pitching and, and hopeful um, that something like this will help us do that. All right. All right. We've reached time. Yeah, we've got Bessie there. I know Eric, sorry, you've got a question there. I don't think we can get it. I can, I can try and do like a quick two second answer. If, okay, if it's quick, quick, quick. I'll make this yes. a comment. It's not really a question. So okay. in my experiences, I used to work in education for a while. Uh, selling to the districts is really difficult in schools. Mm -hmm. So um, a thought for you is actually think about selling this as part of an existing learning management system like Navience or possibly like a Remind, or maybe mm -hmm. even better pairing up with uh, insurance and liability companies. So mm -hmm. this is like sold as part of Hartford, Hartford or Travelers and every school needs to have insurance. 
uh, you can make the case that you know this will reduce student liability on by reducing cyberbullying. Um, so think about some of those B to B to C channels as well. Absolutely, thank you. I appreciate that. Really good feedback. Thank you, Eric. All right. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you all so much. Bye I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I know. All right. So, how about? Well, first off, thank you all for for listening to these five pitches. Everyone listening online. How about a round of applause? Thank you to the startups. Thank you to Bessie, the llama, for joining us every so often. Really like Bessie. Great <laughs> to see her. Again, she's Coloradan. Coloradan yes. uh, llama that manages a bunch of... I hear uh, she's a real leader. She's a leader, yeah. She yeah. manages a whole herd of goats, keeps yep. them in line. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and obviously, judges, thank you so much for, for doing what you're doing today. I know it's, you guys are busy and appreciate you taking the time. So tally up those votes, um, and we'll get we'll get that going here in a second. And... Um, Hopefully, we'll see everyone that's online watching at, at our next event. So while, while you're finishing up that tallying, any last thoughts, uh, final thoughts from the, our judges? Um, any advice for the startups? Any words of, of wisdom? Real quick, we'll just go around the horn. Uh, let's start with, uh, let's see. Let's go to Jean, yeah. Well, first of all, I was really, really impressed with the impact several of these founders want to have in our world in really, really powerful ways. I give them great credit for being with us today. I think they're off to a great start. It was a lot of fun to hear from them. Um, and I thought my fellow judges gave them some really good advice from time to time. So thanks, Jen and Frank. Oh, thank you. Thank Absolutely. you, Jean. Thanks for being here. All right. Next up, let's see. What have we got? Uh, Who else has finished with some scoring and wants to give a few words? Phil? Yeah, I thought uh, they all did a really good job. I mean, especially because they didn't have much time and, you know, they're relatively short pitches. So they fit a lot in. Um, and I know it's hard to cover everything. For some of the pitches, I felt like I would have wanted a little more information about the team uh, and the founder, the, the presenter about their background. I feel like I, I, that was missing a little bit on some of them. Uh, but overall, I thought they did a really good job and um, some innovative, smart products, too, and some, some really smart founders. So it was great. Thank you. Absolutely. Great. All right. Next up, how about uh, Cheryl? Yes. Thank you so much, Jen and Frank, for having us here. And I have also been so impressed by all the pitches we saw today. Um, I think just for those, you know, watching and kind of, you know, if you have I don't have as much experience pitches. What I usually like to see, especially if you only have two to three minutes and those that make the most impact, at least for me, is either one, start with a compelling story, just like Rethink did, or right. you know, start by just staying upfront the problem and then go straight into what your company has done, right? The traction, the partnerships, all those things that can kind of give us signals so that when we later, you know, hear the rest of it, we can kind of instead of being like, oh wait, but is this a business or like what, what's yep. going on or like getting lost, we can say, okay, they've clearly shown they've done something right. So let's kind of like add to the argument from there on, right? And put the pieces together. Um, and so I think that's what really makes a compelling pitch, especially when you only have so much time. Um, and I think a lot of these pitches were fantastic in terms of how much they did communicate to Phil's point. Um, and so that's just kind of one thing that kind of stood out for me, but I mean, female founders just, you know, get the job done. And so I'm really yeah. excited for, for the promise that all of these have. 
Thank you, Cheryl. And that's a great point and a great, uh, actually, it's a baseball analogy you just created in my head, which is just literally come out hitting singles and just score some runs and get on the board, you know, versus like waiting for everyone to get on and then hit the grand slam because that could take a while to, to set up and may not happen. So I knew we couldn't, we couldn't go two hours without a I know, baseball analogy I'm missing baseball here. right now, so I had to get that in. Thank you so much. All right. So Eric, you're next and then we'll go to Jesse. Yeah, thank you again, Jen and Frank, for setting up this opportunity and for the co-judges here. Really great to do this with you. Great questions today. And of course, big thank you to the founders that spoke. So um, I'd say that uh, on top of all the, the feedback with it related to pitches, I generally think that for these kind of quick sessions to try hitting five pillars, team, problem, solution, market, and traction. That's team, problem, solution, market, and traction. I'll just repeat that again. And that should cover most of your bases, I think. So if you can, if you think about your own elevator pitches, you're crafting that after this event, um, that might be just a good litmus test to check your pitch to make sure that you're covering that. Um, yeah, that's, and that's all I had to say. That's, that's great. No, that's great feedback. Both, I mean, we're hearing a lot of great feedback. Thank you judges for sharing this. And um, it's, I think it's gonna be super helpful for anybody that's following along that's got a company and has, has to go out and pitch. So thank you. Everyone should have written that down the last few. It's recorded. Oh, good. You oh, you can again. watch it. Yeah, that's great. All right, Jesse. All right, Jesse, go ahead. Um, I think all of the, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me again and all of the judges. It's been so great working with you here. Um, yeah, no, everyone kind of took what I was going to say in terms of oh. what you put in the pitches as far as, you know, it's like market size revenue. I did want to see a lot more numbers uh, also. Um, I think that those are something you can grab onto. And then um, at least in my little like diligence checklist, I can sort of be like, okay, check their producing revenue. Okay, check. This is the market size. Um, that's very helpful. Um, and so Eric's list is like perfect. Then also I've learned even in my own pitches that just people are much more visual. And mm -hmm. if you are in a complicated industry, first of all, they blew me away with how diverse these industries were. It, it you know, we saw a little of everything today and that was really fun. But if you are in a more complex industry, um, I think it is important to make sure that you show some uh, interesting visuals that explain very, you know, in layman's terms, what you're doing and how you're solving the problem and how it's different because investing in early stage startups means you're investing in the billion dollar businesses of the future. And so often these ideas have never been seen before and you're doing something unique and new and exciting. And um, you may be the first person telling these investors about this idea ever. So just break it down. You live and breathe it every day, but no one else does. So I think the simpler, the better. Educate. I love it. That's a great, great point. Um, we're not all bakers of, what was it? Uh, graphene. Graphene, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Announcement. Winners, yes. winners. All right. So we got our People's Choice Award winner, which everyone on the internet has been voting. And they'll obviously receive a silver microphone put in your trophy case and the winner just came in hot off the presses here. People's choice winner is Cherry Blossom. Congratulations, congratulations to Cherry Blossom. People's choice award winner, really uh, making an impact there out of Washington, DC. Thank Fantastic. you so much, great pitch. All right. All and right, and the winner of today's start of the year virtual pitch competition. Female-led founders, female, female founders. Female founders. Uh, who will receive a gold microphone trophy and automatically advance to the Start of the Year Summit this fall is, let's have a drum roll. <laughs> the winner is Mito Materials. There she is. There she is. Congratulations. 
you so much. Would you like to say a word or two? Um, thank you. I'm so excited. I really appreciated your comments, your feedback. Um, and, and thank you so much. This is great. This is such a, I'm really excited. <laughs> Wow, what a great episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the judges, and congratulations to the winner out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, kind of a, a state close to my heart because I did go to school in the state of Indiana at Purdue. So boiler up if you're listening, if you're out there, all those boilermakers. Uh, but yeah, the winner was uh, Mido, Mido Material Solutions, and she did a great job um, you know, pitching and, and really has a great product. So um, looking forward to, to seeing them at, at our summit, which is coming up in the fall. Uh, also, great job done by the People's Choice Award, which people online voted for, and the winner for, of that was Cherry Blossom Intimates, uh, Intimates. and uh, just a great great job done by all. All the startups did an excellent job, so uh, really, really interesting stuff out there, and obviously our judges uh, shared that as well. So thanks again for listening. Remember to subscribe online um, or wherever you find your your podcast and I hope you're enjoying the show if you get a chance please do rate us uh, you know the more ratings the better we'll bubble and help more companies uh, out there with the uh, opportunities that we provide our startup opportunities and uh, we're all about you know creating that connective tissue so that startups can succeed um, whether it be through building relationships finding funding or meeting their next founder so thanks to everyone that's, that supports the startup through your program and please do subscribe and share our podcasts I'm Frank Gruber I'm going to be signing off here in a second, but uh, if you have an idea out there, don't forget it, the, today is the best day to start. So get it out there and, and start, start working on it and, and bring it to life and change the world. So thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Be safe. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon. 